0: As I mentioned today, we're dealing with loving our neighbors who are far away. Remember that Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You as a church, we as a church support over 40 missionary units literally around the world. If you want to know more about those sometime, ask me. And you'll probably ask me then to stop because I will be like um, a fire hose that you're trying to drink from, and you will have had enough. But God is working mightily through our missionary partners, and I'd love to share that more with you. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ does not just sit back and play defense, it moves forward, but it's armed with something strange. It's armed with the gospel of grace and armed with the love of Jesus. And to proclaim this good news to us this morning, I'm going to ask Dave Veldhorst if he would come up. Dave is the best dressed man in the church this morning. And that is great. Um, He's here with his wife, Jan. I saw her somewhere. Jan, can you raise your hand? There she is. She's seated next to Diane Langmo. They were college roommates a few years ago. And isn't that amazing? The small world that we have. And then amazing, too, that they would join us from a place called Wisconsin. I'm I'm not sure where that is, but I know it's really cold there. And here they are in February accepting an invitation in Florida. So we welcome them um, to be here with us. Let me just mention um, by way of introduction of Dave that he is a graduate of Dort College. He has worked since then as a teacher, a youth pastor. Um, they were missionaries in Japan. Um, he was a graduate student at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis then they, as a family, were missionaries to Thailand. He was a team leader and a country coordinator, and presently, he is director of mobilization for mission to the world of the Presbyterian Church in America. They have five grown children. Their youngest is a senior in high school, and we are thrilled to have them here with us this morning. Dave, thank you for coming to Opening God's Word. Welcome to Orangewood. Thank you. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, you know that Uh, we're sitting back in Wisconsin. It's like two degrees and we got seven inches of snow. And I thought, man, do I really have to go to Florida? You know, it wasn't too hard about that. It's really great to be with you. And uh, thank you so much for all that you do uh, in missions. Uh, As a denomination, it's great to see Orangewood be a real leader in praying and going and sending. And uh, so it's really an honor to be with you here tonight. Um, You have wonderful music here, don't you? Uh, you know, if you were able to sing through those first three songs and not have your heart uh, be stirred at all, then we got some problems. Uh, to, you know, when you think about it, I mean, to, if, if we would take a test on the gospel, I think most of you would probably pass that test. But there's a very big difference between knowing the gospel is true and finding the gospel to be beautiful. And when you get to that last song, you know, the mercy that God shows to his people, I don't know if you're like me, but it's almost like I'm I'm taking that truth in my heart and it's being turned over and over and over again and I'm finding it to be beautiful. What a remarkable God that we have that would show such mercy to his people to say, not only will I bring you into my family, now I'm going to choose you to be my ambassadors and to speak that gospel and through your work, I'm going to actually change lives and you will have the joy of that. That's remarkable. Right, and, and so you know, the end of that song, you know, it's just the beauty, the beauty, the beauty of the Lord. And so, as you come to the the, the word this evening, this afternoon, or whatever time it is, um, <laughs> we're 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 asking the Lord, Lord, I I want this to be true, uh, but I also want it to become beautiful to my heart. Okay, because once it's not only true, but it's also beautiful, then that beauty is what kind of is the ignition of your heart, which propels you to go out in love. So as we go through the text this morning, let's be praying for that, that the Holy Spirit would take these truths that are timeless and make them really beautiful to our heart so that we would leave people that are changed this morning. Um, I don't know how many of you, how many of you like to take risks? Anybody? Yeah, there's a few of you out here with your hands up. Um, Remember last Sunday, uh, Doug Peterson, it's fourth and one right before halftime, right? safe play hand off the running back he runs it in maybe doesn't but that's safe predictable what does he do gives it to the running back the running back gives it to another running back and you throw the pass to your quarterback unmarked in the end zone afterwards the players said we love to play for doug peterson because he takes risks he's always taking risks and it makes us want to play hard for him some of you might play poker you know that in, in the game of, of poker, there's a risk aspect, which I think makes the game enjoyable. But there's also a calculating aspect, which separates kind of the really good players from the ones that aren't so good, is the ability to take that calculated risk. Last week, Pastor Joe preached from the parable of the Good Samaritan, which I'm going to read in a moment. Um, in that parable, there's a lawyer who's listening to Jesus teaching the disciples, and that lawyer has a heart which is very risk-calculating. He's running Jesus' teaching through the algorithm of his heart, trying to calculate, is this the kind of man that I want to follow? Do I really want to be a a true disciple of Jesus Christ? And so he asks in that parable, which I'm going to read, he asks the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And again, he, he knows that's a good question because Jesus has been teaching all about hearing and doing. So that question, what must I do, uh, is a fair question to ask. And Jesus asks him, you know, what does the law require of you? And the lawyer said, well, here's what you have to do. You have to love God with everything you have. Then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, that's the correct answer. But it's almost as if once those words came out of his mouth, he's got another question for Jesus. And his question for Jesus is, well, who's my neighbor? Who, who is that person that I have to love with all that God has given me, and I have to love them just as much as I love myself? He's trying to figure out where does his lines of who's neighbor, who's not neighbor fit in. And in that parable of the compassionate Samaritan, Jesus says... It's the one who acts in mercy. That's the one who really is the one who hears and does. There's the one that really understands what love for neighbor is, is you show mercy. So Jesus takes that question, who's my neighbor? And he says, the real more fundamental question for you and I this morning is not so much who do we calculate our neighbor to be, but what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person this morning that has a heart orientation to love anyone made in the image of God, whether that person is three doors down from you in your neighborhood or that person is living in the middle of Athens, Greece? Does your heart beat in love? And because of your love for that person, will you release whatever resources God has given you to extend your love to that neighbor, whether near or far? See, Jesus turns that question around from who's my neighbor to who's the one who acts with mercy, because fundamentally, that's the key question, right? I mean, the key question this morning is not so much for us to figure out who's our neighbor going to be, but really, who are you? What is your identity? Brian Chappell recently wrote a book called Unlimited Grace, which I would highly commend the book to you. In that book, he writes this. He says, the identity God's grace establishes in us, determines the behavior we imitate. Who we are establishes what we do. In Ephesians 5.1, we're called to be imitators of God as beloved children. The command to imitate God is based on the family relationship with him that his grace has established. So who you are establishes what you do. So again, as we read the two texts we're going to look at this morning, and we want to consider the question, who's my neighbor?, let's first really allow God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit to probe the question which is more fundamental in, your, in my heart is, who are we? Who am I? And if I know who I am, then I know how I can reach out to my neighbor. The text from last week is Luke 10, 25 to 37. And then the text of this week is 2 Corinthians 5. Let me read God's word. Luke 10. Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." Then in your bulletin, the text for today, 2 Corinthians five fourteen to 6, verse 1. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died and was raised. From now on, therefore... "'We regard no one according to the flesh. "'Even though we once regarded Christ "'according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. "'Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. "'The old has passed away. "'Behold, the new has come.'" so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. As we consider these two texts this morning, let's ask four questions. That's going to sound like a long sermon, but it's not. The first question, who am I? Secondly, who am I required to love as my neighbor? Thirdly, where do we get the motivation to do this? And then finally, what does it look like to be all in in reaching our neighbor far and near? First of all, who am I? When, when you read these two texts, what you realize is Jesus is giving a description of a true follower of Jesus, a true disciple. If you go back to Luke chapter six, um, immediately after he reaches the disciples and he calls them to come and follow him, Jesus embarks on several chapters of teaching. This is what a true disciple looks like. And so when you look at the text that Jesus has there from Luke six to Luke 10 and beyond, what you're realizing is a few things about discipleship you're realizing that, first of all, a disciple has to be chosen. Disciples of Jesus are chosen. Jesus comes and he calls particular people to come to him and to follow him. They didn't choose Jesus first and foremost. He chose them. He says, come and follow. It's the pattern, really, of all of scripture. Before the foundation of the world, God chose people to be his. And then he decides to pursue them and to bring them into his family to be adopted sons and daughters, not because of anything in us but simply because of the love of God. So a disciple is chosen. Then you realize the disciple of Jesus is chosen as a gift of grace. There's nothing inherently valuable in these disciples. There's nothing in them that would bring merit. There's nothing in them that would force God's hand to choose them. It is simply a gift of God's grace that God would say, I choose you to be my follower. Come and follow. Then you realize in the text that they're called to follow Christ. In other words, you and I are not just called to follow God generally, we're called to follow the personal work of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus goes, we goes. His values become our values. His priorities become our priorities. He shapes our worldview. He shapes what it means to hear and follow. Then we realize that a disciple of Jesus Christ has been given a completely new orientation of the heart. Praise be to God that he doesn't just call us to go and follow him and then leave our heart unchanged. It says in Second Corinthians 5 14 that the love of God controls us, or Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So again, praise be to God that when we are born in sin and we have a heart that is so prone to always calculating risk reward, that God comes in through the gospel, through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he changes that heart, which is so prone to always calculate risk and reward, and change it to be filled with a heart that has, the inner chemistry has been changed, where it abounds in love for God, love for others. Praise be to God that God changes our hearts like that. That is why the Apostle Paul can say, you know, it's the love of Christ that controls me. The apostle Paul had a heart where every morning he's waking up and he knows he's a recipient of the love and the mercy of God. And it's that which is then leading him to have a deep heart for the nations and a deep heart to give all of himself, everything he had in order to reach those nations with the gospel. That's why Jesus in verse 36, he, you know, he says, which person in the story is acting like a true neighbor? Which of these people in the story had a heart That the chemistry of the heart had been changed, where it was a heart that was grasped by the greatness of God's love. And and again, that's so fundamental for you and I to understand this morning because think about what happens if you don't have a heart that has been ultimately gripped by the love of God and the grace that He has shown you. If you read through the parable in Luke 10 and you read through 2 Corinthians 5, our tendency is to want to know, Lord, where are we going to draw the lines? Do I really have to love everybody in Orlando? What about the one with a sexual identity or preference different than mine? Do I really need to love them? Do I need to love my neighbor down the street or my classmate that continually rejects me? Do I really need to love them? When I find out from Alison Walker what it's like to work and live in Athens and I become very aware of my neighbor in Athens, do I need to love them? And again, the tendency of our heart is that if, If our hearts have not been fundamentally changed, and then you try to follow these commands, you're simply going to do it to what? As the text says, you're going to do it to want to justify yourself. Oh, sure, you'll try to reach out to your neighbor near you, but it's really all going to be about you. It's all going to be about you trying to prove something, or you trying to earn your own righteousness before God. That is why it's so fundamental to first start with the question, who am I? What has God done to my heart? Has my chemistry of my heart been fundamentally changed by being a recipient of the great love of God shown to me through the work of Jesus Christ? Has that pressed out that risk calculating reward heart out in exchange for a heart that deeply flows with an understanding of God's great love shown to us? It's only then that we can then turn to the question, well, who am I called to love? Who do I have to show that love to? Again, I I love what Jesus does here in Luke chapter 10. He could have picked many routes to avoid the Samaritans, but he didn't. He intentionally is taking his disciples right through Samaritan territory because Jesus wants to show them that love has no boundaries. When you get to Romans 13 verse 8, the apostle Paul says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law of God. Again, in Jesus' day... What the priest and the Levite do in Luke chapter 10, it actually would have been laudable what they did. As one Jewish writer said, if you do good, know to whom you do it. Give to the one who is good, but do not help the sinner. And here Jesus comes and he completely reorients the heart, he gives us completely different values and practices. If you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, we're recognizing that neighbor love calls us to love the people we don't even know. So you can't just say, well, I only know the neighbors I know, the one down my street, the one in my class, the one on the same team that I play with. No, we're called to love neighbors that we don't even know initially. We're called to love in a way that's costly. This Samaritan has to give away his money and his material possessions. So hes we're called to love both in the gospel that we share verbally, but also the way the gospel loosens up our holding on to our possessions and our time and our resources. We're called to show neighborly love that doesn't make any plan for reciprocation. This Samaritan, he's not calculating. He's not calculating, is this guy going to pay me back or not? He's showing neighborly love without any plan for how he would get anything out of it. And then you recognize that neighborly love is open-ended. When he pays for whatever innkeeper, whatever is gonna be at the inn, um, he's opening himself for being taken advantage of. And again, Jesus is showing us here the true costly nature of neighborly love. That's why the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he reflects on that and he says, no, it's the Lord that calls us then To become his ambassadors. We become the people that go out to places where people are still walking in darkness. And we get a chance to be in those places, representatives of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when we do so in verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5, God says, you know, when you go out and you carry that gospel, whether it's through business as mission or working with the refugee or proclaiming the gospel through a pulpit, when you do that, I delight to reconcile the world to me, what a privilege for us to be a part of that. I think prior to the 1950s in America, most people had no idea about their neighbor far away. I think about my own father grew up on a farm in Sheboygan County, Wisconsin, uh, when his father died, when he was a senior in high school. He didn't have time to venture out. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have Twitter. Uh, He knew very little of what was going on outside of Sheboygan, Wisconsin. When he was in high school, he ran away to Canada for a week. But apart from that, the first time he really knew what was going on with any neighbor outside of Wisconsin is when he was involved in the army. So if you would have said to my father, when he was in high school, who is your neighbor? Most of the neighbors that he knew, he would have said are the people right near me. But what about today? You know, it's possible for Jan and I to actually know our neighbors in Thailand through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Skype far more than I know my neighbor three doors down in a small village of Oostburg, Wisconsin. I can know them better. It's very possible because of technology and transportation that we simply do not have any excuses anymore. When Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Look, I am with you always, even to the present age. Acts 1 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses only in Orlando. <laughs> no, Jerusalem, your Judea and Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. So again, the question comes to us this morning. Now, who are we really responsible to love? How far do we have to draw our circle of who our neighbor is? And the scripture says, it's to the ends of the earth. It's to the ends of the earth. Praise God for what God is doing in redeeming technology. That today you can't say, I am unaware you have a wonderful missions committee here, you know so much of what is going on around the world. If you don't just go talk to Pastor Joe and it will be like a fire hose. He will tell you so much about what is going on around the world. We cannot say that we are not aware and you can't say that you don't have access. You even got better access than I got coming out of Milwaukee. You can go to MCO in the morning, and you can be with John Rugg in Chile by afternoon, and you can be enjoying some of the best food in the world in Athens by evening. You simply can't say you don't have access. And then you can't say you don't have the ability. You do. This is one of the most gifted churches in the PCA. God has gifted you with resources, financial resources, unlike other churches. He has gifted you with knowledge, unlike other churches. He has gifted you with experiences. You have young people who have gone at a very young age onto missions programs already and mission trips. You've got fine teachers here who are giving you opportunities, local and global, to be involved. You are a church that has been gifted with so, so much ability. So who are we called to show neighborly love to It is anybody who is made in the image of God. Whether that person is two doors down for you or sitting in the middle of Santiago, Chile today. Where do we get the motivation to love? What is gonna move us? And again, I said it when I started this sermon, it it really has to be finding the gospel to not only be true to your heart, but you gotta find that gospel to be beautiful. It has to capture the affections of your heart. So when you read 2 Corinthians 5 and you read it, not just for knowledge of the gospel, but you read it and say, Lord, in 2 Corinthians 5, would you use this text to capture the affections of my heart? Think about how it captures your heart. You have this spotless son of God who is willing to lay down his rights and leave heaven to save you and I, because we were the far away ones. We were the ones that were far away from God. We were aliens to the covenant. We were not close at hand. And then he draws us in to become his sons and daughters. You see the spotless son of God, and he's counted as sinful on the cross, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, so that you and I will never be counted as sinful before him. And then you see the spotless son of God, and he's willing to show mercy and grace, and he also loves to show mercy and grace to those who deserve judgment and condemnation. See, the only way that you and I are really gonna love our neighbors is we have to have the chemistry of our hearts changed. We've gotta get beyond this always calculating risk and reward. What's in it for me? What's it gonna cost me? To the point where we would say, my heart's chemistry has been changed by being recipients of such an overflowing love of God shown to me in Christ that I can't but help be compelled to go out and speak. See, when you, when you know when we experience the love of God, that really produces a lot of humility in us, right? When, when you and I realize that we experienced God's love when we were that faraway enemy, the one that was undeserving, then that produces really a lot of humility in our hearts. We would say, how dare I look down upon my neighbor three doors down or my neighbor in Japan? How dare I look down on them? I was the far away one when you laid down your life on the cross. But when you know why Jesus wanted to lay down his life, when he wanted to do it simply because of love, then that fills you and I up with remarkable courage. You were brought into God's mission And God's plan only because of love, not because by foresight, he looked on the quarter of time and he says, oh, I'll bring him in because I know he'll lead a business as mission trip or I'll bring her in because I know she'll be a future missionary in Athens. No, you and I were brought into that mission, into that family, not because of performance past, present or future, simply because of the love of God. And when you and I recognize that, it fills us with remarkable courage. So when you have that humility and that courage working together in your heart, then you can take Jesus' words and you can hear them and you can do them. And it's all going to be done with joy. See, if you and I really want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, according to Luke 10 and 2 Corinthians 5, and we really follow his words, it would really destabilize our world. That's why it was so shocking to the first recipients and that's why to us, if we really understand it, it's shocking to us to do. How much it would change our world if we really heard and did what Jesus is commanding us. Finally, what does it look like to be all in? You know, there's, I don't play a lot of poker. I don't play any poker. <laughs> that's not a lot, I guess. I do know, though, when I'm watching poker, there's that point in time when the person takes all their chips and they push them all into the middle. And they say, we're all in we're all in. I'm going to bank everything on the hand I have in front of me. What would it look like for Orangewood in this year to take all of your figurative mission poker chips and you push it all in and you say, Orangewood 2018, we are all in. We're all in in terms of missions locally and far away. We're all in in reaching our neighbor near and far. What would that look like with regard to prayer? For you and your family, you individually, in a small way to say, I'm all in in praying for missions. I'm going to carve out five minutes a day, and I'm going to pray for one of the missionaries out here in the foray. Uh, I'm going to make sure that when I pray, I am always saying, Lord, would you open up more doors for me to reach my neighbor in the cubicle next to me at work or my neighbor three doors down? I'm all in in prayer. Well, what would it look like for you to be all in and sending? Again, you send out over 40 missionaries, but what would it look like for you to send out 80 next year? You're saying, well, I can't, we can't do that. I'm doing the risk. I'm doing the calculating here. We can't do it. How do you know if you don't ask? Lord, what would it look like for us to pray that you would give us such financial capacity that our businesses would thrive so much that we would have far more to give and that we would be all in so that Allison Walker could be sent out even after this worship service today. She would have all the resources. It's possible. What would it look like for you to be all in and going Or some of you that maybe that went on a mission trip when you were in high school, and now you're saying, you know, I'd like to do something like that again. What would it look like for you to go and be with David Stoddard in Germany? You'll go on a vision trip. You see David Stoddard's great love for the country of Germany. You see that you could go there for two years, work with the Stoddards in Berlin, learn some of the German language, learn how to reach Germans with the gospel, and then you'd be sent to Frankfurt to be part of a brand new church planning team there. What would it look like to do a summer internship in Odessa, Ukraine? And just seeing the great way in which Ukrainians now are receiving the gospel and responding to it. And you in a summer internship could be used. What would it be like for you to take your administrative and accounting skills and you say, you know what, I can use those here in Orlando. But what would it look like for me to use those in Nicaragua where I could help propel their business as missions work that they have going on there? Or I could go to India with business as mission and help Jonathan Iverson see that business as mission work really take off and grow. What would it look like for you to go to Spain to work with Bob Tanzi and to say, Bob, I'm willing to come and work with you. I'll do some evangelism. I'll go on campus, but I'm all in in going. My guess is that if you would go into the four year here and you would ask any of the missionaries out there, they would say, we've got room for you on our team. What would it look like for you to be all in in prayer, in sending, and going, what would it look like for you to be all in and welcoming? Do you realize that there's a million students that come to the U.S. for university ministry every year? And right on your doorstep, you have what is called the best community college in our nation. Do you know what it is? It's Valencia College, the best community college in the nation. It has over 60,000 students, and a 1,000 of those are coming from places like Algeria, Brazil, Morocco, and China, countries that many would say are closed or very difficult to take the gospel to, and they're right on your doorstep. So what would it look like for Orangewood to have a welcoming posture in a small way to Valencia College or colleges like that, where you would say, I want to make sure that an international student who is studying here would have a place to do an internship, would have a place to have a meal, would have a place to practice English. What would it look like for us to want to pray, send, go, and have a welcoming posture? What would move us? Here's one way I think I can move you today. I can appeal to guilt. I can say, you know what? Do you not see how small a response you and I have had to our neighbor nearby? We're really parochial, aren't we, in our friendships? Think about your friendships the last two weeks. How many strangers have been part of those friendships? How often do you really pursue Christ rather than pursuing the American dream? I could appeal to guilt. I could appeal to pride. Do you realize how great the PCA is? When the PCA was started in 1973, the very, one of the very first foundational stones of the PCA was a love for local and foreign missions. That's who we are. We're PCA. Rise up. Let's be good PCA folk. Yeah, I could do that. about fear? Do you realize how fast the Pentecostal church is growing? Praise be to God. But do you realize how fast they're growing? That in places like Thailand, the Pentecostal church is growing far faster than Reformed and Presbyterian churches are growing. Doesn't that shake you a bit? That there might be a day when Calvin isn't known? I mean, when the apostle Paul is speaking to people, he doesn't appeal to guilt or pride or fear. He just says, go look at that gospel. Turn the truth of the gospel over and over and over in your heart until it ignites such love for God that you can't help but be all in. Look, if you're playing poker and you open up your hand and you got two ones, a two, a seven, and a nine, what kind of hand do you got? You get a loser of a hand. You better not put one chip on that hand. What kind of hand have you been given by God the Father through Jesus Christ? You open up your spiritual hand of what you have in Christ. Let me tell you what you got. you got an inheritance in heaven that you cannot ever lose and never fade. You have a life that is hidden in Jesus Christ. So know how much you bear reproach in this world, how much you're hated, how much nobody wants to be with you. Your life is hidden in Christ. And that is a rock solid identity, you can never lose. You have been loved with an everlasting love. It's not based on your past performance, your present performance, or anything you will ever do for him in the future. It is simply based on his love for the son and their love for you and that can never change. God guarantees, because of Revelation 5, 9, that there are people who already have been purchased from all of eternity for salvation. And they're sitting there in Athens, in the Exarchia area. And when Allison Walker walks over there and she begins to share the gospel in her own way, they will come to salvation because they were chosen from all of eternity to be saved. And they already have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a guaranteed result. And then you consider that all of that, here's your fifth card, it was all given to you simply because of God's love. Not because of your pedigree, not because of education, not because you look like you're a moral person, and not because of anything you would ever do for the Lord. It was all given to you out of love. When you hold that figurative hand of what you have in Christ, why in the world would you and I ever be silent Isn't that enough love to compel us out to say, Lord, we're all in? Dear friends, that's like opening up a hand and you got four aces and a king. Why wouldn't you push all your chips in? You can't lose. When Alex Rodriguez, this is for Jim Miller's sake. When Alex Rodriguez in 2006 declared that he and the Yankees were all in, 2006, he says to the Yankees, we're all in and winning this World Series You know, he, to go to the World Series. You know what happened? The team took on cues from Alex. When Alex said he was all in, the team was inspired by that and rallied around that to say, yes, in 2006, we're going we're to go for that World Series. How much more so when your elder brother, Jesus Christ, announces that he's all in in missions? He says, my authority goes with you my promises are going to empower you, and I guarantee lives are going to be changed. Wouldn't you and I want to take the cues from our older brother and then also say, Lord, I'm all in. Whatever it's going to look like, praying, sending, going, welcoming, near or far, I'm all in. And then Orangewood says as a church, we're all in. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We come before you and we realize that we, as a people, have been given much. Father, thank you that we have been such recipients of love and mercy and grace, that we were far away and you sought us out and you drew us in and you made us part of your family. And then now as adopted sons and daughters with an identity we can never lose, with a future that cannot be changed, with a love that can never waver, we have received all of that. And then you call us and say, go out. Go to that neighbor near and far, proclaim the gospel in word, adorn the gospel in deed. And when you do that, I will bring my people in. Father, thank you that you delight to use such a sinner to be involved in such a message of reconciliation. Would you use us as a church? Would we look back in December of 2018 and say what a year it was when we were all in for missions?